Thank you, Gabe. Morning, life changes. Morning. Great to be together this morning. Yo, my name's Scott. I'm married to Amy, the love of my life. I hit the jackpot with Amy, which is, yeah, I'm grateful for that every day. It's the truth. And our two kids, Zachary and Christopher, who are our absolute pride and joy. Zachary, he's turning two coming up. So when you, they come to that age of two, there's a new thing, a new surprise every day. Maybe it's a new word or thing. And, and his new big thing is a, is a fake cough. That's, his, um, that's his, his party trick. So this dry cough that he goes out and starts coughing in front of people. And we're like, Zach, I don't think it's the time to be dry coughing around people. But that's not the season for dry coughs. But that's his, that's his claim to fame. So we're working on that. If he wants to impress the girls, so maybe something else, something else he can, can give it a go. But we're preaching this morning on the series on Ruth. And it's been such an incredible past few weeks. Just in our life group, we've seen redemption. We've seen people extending forgiveness to others. We've seen people being challenged about changing location. Just There's been an incredible testimony from this preaching so far. And the book of Ruth is a, it's an absolute beaut, a little gem, um, just after the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And interestingly, if you read it, quick read, four chapters, very little is said about God in the book of Ruth. The, the narrator doesn't actually say much about God, but it's this wonderful story about how God works all things for his good. And it just invites us into his story without saying much about it directly. So I just want to welcome you this morning that we share in this book together. Would you open your hearts and let's, let's dive in. I wonder if we could quickly turn our eyes to the screen. I just want to quickly paint the landscape for you. Um, next slide there, Zanda, if you don't mind. So I'm just going to jump in as, as we go through the slides. But through the, the book of Ruth, there's different characters. There's a, a lady named Naomi, and she's married, um, and they basically get stuck in the land that they're in. They have two sons, and they decide where they are. They stay from, from Judah in Bethlehem. They decide they need to get out. They need to branch out. So this is just a quick orientation of the family in case you haven't maybe seen it before. Naomi and Elimelech, they have two sons, Kilian and Malon, and they basically, they hit famine. They're from... Um, as I said, Bethlehem in Judah, and they decide to go across the Dead Sea, to hop over the Dead Sea, to go to the land of Moab to see to seek greener pastures, basically to look after their family. And there, their two sons get married to Ruth and Orpah. It's like Oprah, just a bit different. Um, and they get married to, to these sons, and they basically set up camp there. And interestingly, all the people highlighted in yellow, and all the men die. In Moab. So now you've got the two sisters, the mother in law, and this is where you really hope that you've been good to your mother in law. When nobody else is left behind, it's just you and your mother in law needing to have a few long evenings and conversations. Um, but they basically, as the famine starts to let up in their hometown, they decide to go back. They decide to go back to Bethlehem, and basically, Noma says to Orpah and to Ruth, Stay where you are. This is, these are your people. This is your way of life. This is what you know. Stay where you are. Orpah says, great, mom, I'm out. And she takes that. She takes that. She stays in Moab. But Ruth says, and the scripture you would have heard before, Ruth 1 verse 16, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And with that, she goes back with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And in that situation, we see desperation comes in reality. I think there would have been hope that they would have gone back and kind of this was their homecoming, would have been welcomed in, they would have had a banquet prepared for them. But in reality, we see Ruth very quickly after they get back, we see her gleaning. 
So gleaning is this biblical term in the times where the farmers of the day, they would harvest their crops, but they would leave the scraps essentially behind for the poor to come in and to glean. They would go in and glean and to pick up the leftovers for what they're doing. My only analogy, what I can think of, is where we stay. Um, on, Monday, on Mondays, we put out the rubbish bins. We put out the dustbins. And we also know in that time, there's a whole wave of people that move through our suburbs that glean. That's what they're doing. They're looking for something to sustain themselves, looking for something to keep them going. It is, if you are gleaning in this current setting, you are you're in trouble. You're not in a great space. You're probably at the lowest part from societal levels or whatever you want to call it. They're struggling. Uh, Micah 7 verse 1 says, What misery is mine? I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. In biblical times, gleaning is not where you want it to be. And just Ruth in this time, she would have been desperate Desperate, just hungry, in terms of hungry for the Lord just to provide food for her, your most basic need. She needed food from the Lord. She was displaced. She was in a foreign land, a foreign country. She probably didn't speak the language. She was unknown. She didn't have any friends or family. She didn't have anybody she could call. She was there completely alone. And she was desolate. She was without a husband. She was alone, desolate, loneliness. She, was, she hadn't had a child. She'd been married for 10 years. She was all by herself. And this is where we meet Ruth in this story. And I'm going to pray for us as we jump in to the exciting part of the next chapter. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd open our hearts. Would you show us what you are speaking through your word? Would you open our minds and unlock the truth of your word in Jesus' name? Amen. And if we go to the next, if we go to the next slide there's under, we get introduced to this incredible concept called a kinsman redeemer. So it's the idea that within a family structure, within, within the community, there was a redeemer or a family closest relative, is actually the direct translation, that they would be able to come in and assist in a time of need. Like Ruth was in a desperate time, they, and they had very specific roles and functions. Basically, if you were poor and you had to sell your land, they would then step in and purchase your land on your behalf so that the land could stay in the family. If you were maybe sold into slavery, so you became, you just kept trying to work to pay off debt, you were so heavily indebted, they would be able to come in and say, look, I'll take on that debt. Let's keep this in the family. They were basically a, a savior within the family. If they needed to execute justice, you would also call in your family redeemer to come and lay, to lay the law down on your behalf. So it was this important function within the community of looking out for each other. And we get introduced here to Boaz, who is, and if those of you who have been in church in the last few weeks, Boaz comes in. He's a wealthy person in this, in this neighborhood, and he comes in as Ruth's redeemer. It's an incredible story of just the Lord's faithfulness to, to Ruth in this situation. And I just want to quickly run through just a few interesting points and what we see in the scripture of how Boaz interacted with Ruth. Just remember, Ruth is gleaning. She's out. It's unsafe for a woman to be out on her own in the field. She's gleaning in fields where she doesn't know who the owner is. And she happens to come across this field of Boaz, the wealthy man who owns a number of vineyards, but he, the first thing is that he sees her. He sees her where she is. He takes notice of Ruth. There would have probably been hundreds of people going through the field at that time, but Boaz sees Ruth. Boaz asks his foreman, who is that young woman over there? He takes notice of Ruth. And secondly to that, he does something about it. He extends kindness to her. He extends kindness to Ruth. Ruth fell at his feast and thanked him, saying, What have I done 
to deserve such kindness. Basically, Boaz assists her with some food, with some just very basic needs, invites her to sit at his table with her, shares a meal together, shows her kindness, unnecessary kindness. What would seem in that day as undeserving kindness. You would have had many people gleaning, but he sees Ruth and offers her and gives her kindness. And then finally, and importantly, and the crux of it, this is where we're aiming towards, is he redeems her. Boaz redeems Ruth. It's uh, um, a redemption is a release from a legal obligation or deliverance from de- desperate circumstance with payment necessary to effect that release. Boaz comes in, he pays money basically to get the land that was previously owned by Naomi, gets Ruth to come with him, and he redeems her story. And it's this beautiful picture, this amazing picture of somebody who, without child, husband passed away at the absolute at the bottom of society, from what, everything we can look at and everything you can see in your eyes, she's there. Boaz comes and redeems her. They get married, have Obed, who has Jesse, who has King David. Bam. I mean, what a, just a, what a turnaround of events. It's, it's every whole life's heading in one direction, and just things completely turn around. And David, obviously going through the generations, comes the Messiah too. And there's this amazing analogy that gets drawn between Ruth and Boaz, and our spoiler alert is we are Ruth. We are Ruth. Maybe can we say that? I am Ruth. And we are Ruth. We are Ruth. It's the reality. We are Ruth. And Boaz, as the Redeemer, is a symbol, almost a prophetic symbol of Jesus Christ in the book. And it's an incredibly powerful story. And I want to touch, touch on that a bit, in that we are desperate We are desperate. As Ruth was desperate in her circumstance, she was desperate to be fed. She was desperate for help. We in ourselves are desperate too. Maybe you're desperate for work. Maybe you're desperate for a child. Maybe you're desperate for for a child that's been lost or is doing his own thing. Maybe you're desperate to hear God's voice. Maybe you're desperate for a relationship to start or maybe to stop. And I just want to encourage you this morning that we can see Ruth in her gleaning. We can see people that are struggling or are desperate or are displaced or desolate. But the reality is we are all that. We are all desperate. Um, We are all displaced. In some or other way, my Amy and I moved from um, Santon City to Langebon. That was a displacement. We, we, um, it was a shock to the system. We didn't, we didn't, it just was hard for us. And I mean, I know many people have moved much further away from home than that. But it was hard. We felt like we didn't understand the way things worked. We didn't understand the culture in some senses. And it took time for us to, to be placed again. Maybe you feel like you've been displaced. Maybe you feel like you're displaced in your own home, in, maybe in a relationship. You just feel so misunderstood. I'm not, the things that you're saying about me, it's not me. I feel displaced. And maybe in your business, where you're going through work and your boss, and there's a culture, culture's huge within a business. Maybe you feel displaced in that. This, this culture, this environment is not me, and I want to get out of it. And then finally, we are all d- d- desolate. We are all desolate. We are all in desperate need of King Jesus. And maybe that looks different for other people. Maybe you're hoping and praying for somebody to come along, for a savior, for somebody to get married to. And that's a good thing to want. But it's not 
the king to want. It's, it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing to want. And just we are all desolate in some or other ways. And this is where the incredible thing in terms of the story of Ruth gets summed up. And we see then Boaz as a symbol of Christ coming down. And first of all, God sees you. God sees you. God sees you in your circumstance as Ruth saw Boaz in her desperation. God sees you. God sees you. He sees your desperation. He sees your need. He sees where you are. And he acknowledges it. He knows every hair on your head is counted and it's numbered. He has searched, um, Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And just take comfort in that. Can we take comfort in that? That the Lord knows you. It was the right thing to be here today. It was the right thing to be in church. The Lord knows you and he knows your ways. The Lord extends kindness and grace towards us. That um, from Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And the Lord extends grace to you. There's grace for you this morning. There's grace for your circumstance. There's grace for your sin. There's grace for the bitterness in your heart. There's grace for the things you said yesterday. There's grace for your anger. There's grace for it. There's grace. And the Lord extends His grace and His kindness towards you. And then finally, and most importantly, and wonderfully, God and Christ redeems us. He redeems us. I wonder if we could just go to the next slide there. I just want to read that, um, that phrase again. It says, Redemption is a release from a legal obligation or deliverance from desperate circumstance with payment necessary to effect that release. Something must be paid in order for us to be released. A redeemer in those days would pay to, have, to purchase your land. They would pay to get you out of slavery. They would need to pay something in order to see that person getting out of that bondage. And that's the glorious thing of our faith too, is that that has been paid on our behalf. Jesus Christ came, he delivered the work, the work is complete. He paid the ultimate price for our sins. And what he paid it in is that he paid it in his blood. In biblical times, in, when we read the story of Boaz, he would have forked out some money. He would have given some money. He would have, he would have handed something out. But in our story, Jesus has finished that work and he has paid for us with his blood. With his blood. It's incredibly powerful. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Ephesians 1 verse 7. It's a, it's a winner. Gabe, Gabe talks about it all the time. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood. We get offered redemption from Jesus Christ. And if we just circle back to the Ruth story, I think something we often forget at the end of it, and we kind of take for granted, we, Boaz redeems Ruth and they have this child, and this child leads on to, to David, and we kind of wrap it up there. But there was an important step in that process, in that Ruth had to accept the redemption. The redemption was an offer from Boaz. It was there. It was freely given. There wasn't anything that was asked of her, but she needed to accept it. And maybe this morning, you are not sure of whether or not you have accepted the redemption 
of Christ. Maybe you're not sure if you've accepted Jesus into your life. I want to employ you. I want to convict you. I want to shake you and say, do it. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's freely on offer. It's it, all that you've done. It doesn't matter. All the sin, all the past, all the history, all those things. You can wipe it clean and, re- and receive the redemption that's freely on offer. And I just want to, if you're convicted and you feel like that's something for me, we're going to have an altar call at the end, but it's important that we take a stand on that to say, Jesus you are my king and my savior, and I, I acknowledge you as the Lord of my life. We need to accept the redemption. Um, just as we, as we kind of change gears, I want to tell a story um, about a friend of mine, a friend of mine named Solomon. Um, and we met in the, in the strangest of places. We met at an, on a rubbish dump. Uh, I kid you not. We, uh, in Pretoria, I grew up in Pretoria. I'm not a Cape Townian. That's why I struggle to make friends here. Um, <laughs> But we, we, met, we met on a rubbish dump. Pretoria East is a rubbish dump that's as far as you can see. Um, and I spent some time there. I met this tall African man from Zimbabwe. A beautiful, beautiful man. I grew, to, I grew to love him. He was my friend. And we just got into each other's lives, basically. Solomon, we just got to know each other, got to, got to hear each other's stories. He was living on the rubbish dump, and he was gleaning. He was. There was hundreds of people that would stay there and basically glean, look for what other people's rubbish was and try to find something of value there that, that could be of service to them. And just we grew, just built a friendship. And then he said in that December he wanted to go home. So he wanted to take his things and go home and see his family. His family was still in Zimbabwe. Basically packed up his, all his possessions. All his, you remember he had this old welding machine. I mean, it's a proper little unit that. And this was his most prized possession. And he picked that up and he went, traveled by bus, went back to Zimbabwe to see his family. And I didn't hear from him for a number of months, for... It was the months rolled by. I didn't hear anything from him. Um, and months after that, I received a letter from, from his wife. Um, and with the news that Solomon had died, Solomon had passed away. I didn't know, but he was sick. Um, and he basically went back and died with his family. He died with his family, his wife. And the letter said this. It was to, to tell me of the news and to say this. Thank you for your kindness to my husband. Thank you for your kindness to him while he was in South Africa. And I don't know, we get so fixed up with what we need to give and what we need to do and what we need to, I don't know, the, need, the need's so big, it is, it's so big. We can't, we can't help everybody, but we've got kindness in our hands. We've got something that we can give. And I think as we talk about the redemption of Christ, it can't stop with us. It can't stop here. I think when we get stuck in our thinking of our when our thinking gets a bit warped, the danger is, is that we miss it and we don't extend the redemption that we've received to others. I wonder if you can go to the next slide there, um, Sander. I just want to implore us that as Boaz operated towards Ruth, we are responsible. We must. It's not a nice to have. We must. We must extend that towards others. It's part of what is required, what is asked of us in Scripture. As we receive Christ, we need to extend it to others. We need to see others. We need to see the Ruths in our stories. We, need to, we are Ruth and we need to see others that are Ruth, people that are struggling, people that are desperate, people that are in need of help. We need to extend kindness and we need to finally point people to the Redeemer to the ultimate redeemer of Jesus Christ. And can we just jump to the next slide? The, the history lesson here continues. Um, I'm going to 
we'll go one more there, Sunder. Thanks, man. Um, this, is the, this is the story, as I touched on earlier, in terms of the family. There was two kinsmen redeemers. There was two. We don't often talk about the first one because we don't even know his name. This, the kinsman redeemer number two, that's Boaz. He gets, he gets the show. But kinsman redeemer number one was actually the closer relative. It was the person that was closer in relation to Elimelech and Naomi. And it meant that he actually had the right to purchase the land for Naomi and could have married Ruth. He was completely his right to do it. But his response is this. As this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it. Going, Boaz, you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. What a, what a missed opportunity. You get an opportunity to potentially be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You know? They talk about fame and I don't know, everything you've ever wanted. And his response is, I can't do it because it might endanger my own estate. I want to almost throw up. You know? And I pray that for my own life, when that opportunity comes, I don't want to miss it like that. Man. I don't want to say, because I'm, it's going to be an inconvenience, I'm not going to do it. Or I don't, haven't got the time. I don't feel like... Please, let's not let, let that not be our excuse when the time comes and the time is now to act and to do something and to take charge of what the Lord has called us to. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. Love the Lord with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's basic. It's the basic stuff. As we receive the redemption story, we need to extend it on to others.